You are listening to Hydro Talks, a podcast from the global aluminium producer Hydro, setting out to explore the modern dilemmas for industry and society. Welcome to Hydro Talks. This is Craig Johnson from Hydro, and I am your host for this episode as we discuss human rights due diligence. That is, how companies ensure that their human rights policies and obligations are reflected on the ground in the countries where they operate. With us today are Osna Burgess Eyehaug, Corporate Social Responsibility Manager of Hydro in Oslo, and Kayla Winarski-Green of the Danish Institute for Human Rights in Copenhagen. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks for having us today. Okay, uh, Kayla, tell us a little bit about yourself and the Danish Institute for Human Rights in Copenhagen. Sure, and it's again a a pleasure to speak with you today. As you noted, my name is Kayla Winarski-Green, and I'm an advisor in the Human Rights and Business Department at the Danish Institute for Human Rights, or the DIHR. Uh, The DIHR is Denmark's national human rights institution, which has a somewhat unique dual mandate of promoting and protecting human rights in Denmark and abroad. Uh, The Human Rights and Business Department focuses on human rights and business at a global scale. Our work is generally underpinned by the United Nations Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights, or the UNGPs. They seek to provide an authoritative global standard for preventing and addressing the risks of adverse human rights impacts linked to business activity. Historically, the work of the Human Rights and Business Department included partnerships with companies, and we worked with Hydro for several years on various human rights topics, including human rights due diligence, which we're discussing today. And before we get started, I just wanted to quickly make it clear that today's conversation will focus on human rights due diligence in a general sense and will not constitute the Danish Institute or me providing an assessment of or giving an endorsement to Hydro's processes. Yeah, as uh, as we mentioned, you are uh, an advisor. You're not a certification organization or uh, anything along those lines. Exactly. Okay, well... Uh, Tell us, what are the main issues for uh, business in in the human rights area right now? So the the main issues for business and human rights is really context dependent. Um, The footprint of a company is uh, very different one company to another. So we wouldn't say it's sort of a blanket issue. It can be child labor, um, labor of employees. We see upstream, downstream impacts, um, really context dependent. But regardless of a company's activities um, or the sort of contextualities, it's absolutely essential to make sure that the company is properly conducting human rights due diligence and is making itself aware of its unique footprint and impacts. Okay, well, uh, tell us a little about about this concept of uh, due diligence when it comes to human rights. That's probably a new concept for a lot of people. I would say so. Um, I would say it's it's sort of the essential concept. Um, human rights due diligence is a way for businesses to proactively manage potential and actual adverse human rights impacts with which they're acknowledged, uh, which which they're involved. This is consistent with uh, principle 17 of the United. Nations guiding principles that I mentioned earlier, um, which states that in order to identify, prevent, mitigate, and account for how they address their adverse human rights impacts, 
business enterprises should carry out human rights due diligence. The process should include assessing actual and potential human rights impacts, integrating and acting upon these findings, tracking responses, and communicating how impacts are addressed. Okay, is this an obligation for companies or is this something that companies increasingly are addressing for a variety of reasons, Uh, you know, uh, reputation, contacts with their customers, customers are demanding it and so on. What's, What's really driving this now? Sure. So companies should conduct human rights due diligence for a number of reasons. First of all, it provides a window into how compliant the company is with international human rights standards. And this is especially important uh, where national requirements where the company is operating are not up to internationally recognized standards. So it sort of provides that additional step. Um, Human rights due diligence is also necessary for a company to live up to both internal and external communications um, and any values that it purports to adhere to. So it's really an essential way for companies to ensure that they're walking the walk, not just talking the talk. Also, by respecting human rights and business activities and conducting human rights due diligence, the majority of companies are also making their most significant contribution to the sustainable development goals. Because we've seen time and again that when human rights are not respected, positive contributions to the SDGs are being completely undermined. Uh, Human rights due diligence is also the primary expectation on company behavior under the UNGPs. So if a company is purporting to act in accordance with the UNGPs, it's essential to ensure that they are conducting human rights due diligence. And this is also important because the UNGPs are being featured more and more in other frameworks by international governmental organizations, industry associations, for example, the OECD guidelines for multinational enterprises um, mentions human rights due diligence. And then, as you mentioned, there are also major reputational, financial, and even legal risks related to not respecting human rights. And we've even seen a lack of human rights due diligence pose a risk to recruiting and retaining talent. But finally, I would say that by looking at risks to people, looking at human rights risks first, companies increase the likelihood of detecting potential human rights issues at an early stage before they become severe and actual human rights impacts, which can also create a risk to the business itself. Okay. Uh, You used a very interesting phrase earlier, what companies are purporting to do. Um, As we see with uh, greenwashing on, on climate and environmental issues, what sort of Uh, safeguards are there in place or systems and standards whereby people can judge uh, as you say that a company is is uh, is walking the walk exactly exactly it's interesting that you bring up uh, this concept of of greenwashing very bold um, but we really see conducting proper human rights due diligence and greenwashing as being diametrically opposed from one another As noted, we understand greenwashing as a marketing technique where activities that are supposedly environmentally friendly are used to distract the public from a company's otherwise unethical or problematic activities. But human rights due diligence, on the other hand, is a process that requires a company to do the work and to actually look into its activities um, and to understand and act upon these findings. And even though there is this communication portion, 
it has the purpose of making sure that it's keeping a company honest. It's it's not about marketing at all. So we see human rights due diligence as a much more holistic, uh, introspective process, which has a purpose of increasing respect for human rights. It's not a, a marketing technique at all. Okay, great. Let's move over to uh, to what Hedra is doing, Osna. Uh, what are the, the sort of top human rights issues and, and risks in Hedra? We have operations in 40 countries around the world. We're a global company, and, and that means that we operate in, in countries where maybe some of those um, standards uh, that, that Kayla mentioned are not uh, always sort of implemented into to law or as sort of strictly regulated as they are in maybe some other countries. You know, for us to then uh, work with that, we have to work w- in what we call a risk-based manner. Um, and that's also something that the, the UNGPs, which Kayla um, explained, um, highlights and the, and the same with the OCD uh, guidelines. Um, and it basically means that, you know, we have to look at the risk in terms of the country and the context and also the risk in terms of our type of operations, our type of industry. So in terms of the country, not all countries where we operate um, has the same, the, the same risk of, of impact. Um, typically, we see that countries with strong and trusted public institutions, um, countries that have good governance, uh, good public sector management, or strong um, justice systems, they'll typically have a lower risk uh, uh, of human rights violations or breaches, whereas countries that maybe are in the opposite position, you will see more human rights violations. And so we have to prioritize the countries where there's, um, there's a higher risk. But then, you know, based on our operations, we also have to look at what, you know, what kind of footprint do we have and what kind of impact may can we have on people based on our um, based on our operations. And this, you know, we're we're a big company with with different um, we operate differently across the value chain. And so that also means that these, you know, these risks can be different. It's different to be operating a mine compared to an extrusions plant. Um, but what we've done in in Hydro is then try to prioritize the, the 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 sort of the main risks, meaning the 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 risk, the rights that we um, can uh, can impact the most severely um, is how we prioritize it. And so these main risks or these main issues um, that you asked about, Craig, um, we have ten ten of them. Um, the first one is modern slavery. Uh, or forced labor and, and child labor abuse. The second one is principles of freedom of association and collective bargaining. We have freedom from discrimination and harassment. Another one is decent working conditions. There's also right to privacy, health, safety. Um, and we also, another risk is uh, the rights of vulnerable individuals and groups. Um, the risks, the risk related to providing information, dialogue and participation. And then the final one is rightful, respectful, and lawful resettlement, relocation, or repossession processes. Um, and these, you know, some are relevant to some of the countries where we operate in. Um, some are not relevant to all of the countries where we operate in. But it's a way for us to sort of um, prioritize the issues that we have to look look at when we're doing our due diligences. When you do recognize that there is risk X in this particular country, how do you go about documenting what the risk actually is and then what and who in hydro is going to do something about it. 
So let me take a step back and I can explain a little bit how we actually identify these risks and how we sort of follow it up. Because in Hydro, our sort of our main process of doing this is through our enterprise risk management. Um, and the tricky part here is that our traditional enterprise risk managements are geared towards mapping out the risks for business, right? Um, but when we're doing human rights due diligence, we really have to look at what kind of risk for we could have on people, um, which in turn, through the different elements that Kayla mentioned, uh, could in return become a risk to uh, the business through reputational, financial, uh, legal costs, and so on. But when we then work through the enterprise risk management, we work with the different business areas to to sort of map out uh, the different risks, especially related to these uh, these ten that I that I just went through. Um, and then it's followed up in our enterprise risk management system. So through that system, it's then given sort of a, a responsible name, um, and so on. And like I said, you know, a, a lot of our, uh, you know, the, the two countries where we really pay attention um, a lot to the risk development is, is um, Brazil uh, and, and Qatar. And then we also look um, at the risks in our supply chain where there is also uh, considerable risk. And then, you know, if we see that there is a considerable risk, then we have to go in and do sort of more of a, you know, I'd call it a deep dive. Um, but we, you know, we then we hire, we typically hire a third party specialists that know the, the region or the country very well to go in and do sort of a full impact assessment where we actually then interview and talk to people that may be impacted or affected by us to really understand that risk better. Okay. Uh, and some of this due diligence work is something that we're doing on our own initiative. Um, but I understand that uh, Norway, which is where Hydro is headquartered, has recently passed legislation about uh, human rights and, and due diligence. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, I think there's there's definitely a trend in Europe right now to pass uh, legislation on human rights due diligence. Up until now, it's been... Um, you know, more on kind of a voluntary basis, but definitely an expectation in terms of, you know, if you, if you really want to be a company that, that shows commitment to the sustainable development goals, like Kayla mentioned, um, and in general, just commitment to the social aspect of sustainability, human rights due diligence is kind of a, a minimum um, that, that you have to, uh, that you have to do. But what um, I think a lot of legislators uh, in Europe are seeing is that maybe that's not enough. Maybe, you know, to make sure that all companies take that responsibility, legislation uh, is, is necessary. And so Norway has really taken the leading position, I would say, um, because so far there are only two other similar laws. There's one in France and there's one in Germany. And the one in Germany was passed the same week as Norway. So I think we can call that leading. And it basically says that the processes outlined in, in the UNGPs, like Kayla mentioned, um, and the core being human rights due diligence, is now, uh, you know, it's a legal requirement. And if we don't conduct it, um, and if we don't sort of communicate how we're conducting it and what the processes are, uh, then there could be sanctions. And uh, what's interesting is that because we're headquartered, Hydra is headquartered in Norway, that means that this law you know, it doesn't only apply to our Norwegian assets, it applies to all our assets across the world. We, in Hydro, we've, we've been doing this for quite some years. We, uh, we signed up to the UNGPs back in, in 2011 when they were first released. So we have some experience. 
that doesn't mean that we always get it right and and there will always be dilemmas and there will always be um, conflicting issues. But we see that there is a lot of progress um, and a growing understanding and interest internally. Uh, and it's probably also pushed a bit from our customers and investors who are asking more questions about this too. So I think we were prepared for this type of legislation, but it definitely means that there's more focus on um, a company's respect of human rights and how companies actually uh, conduct their human rights due diligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's ask uh, Kayla about that because what do you see as the value or the trend of this, at least in Europe, of having legislation more or less setting down standards for how companies behave when it comes to human rights? So the UN Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights has stated that there's a wave of responsible business legal requirements impacting markets across the world. Uh, meaning that mandatory human rights due diligence regimes are in place or are in development across a growing number of jurisdictions, mainly in Europe, as you noted. And we're seeing this uh, sort of proliferating more and more. Some examples of regulatory activities, which I can add or mention, are the proposed mandatory human rights due diligence regulation in Europe, which is in discussion right now. There's the Norwegian transparency law that Osna mentioned, and also Germany's law on corporate due diligence in supply chains, also passed in June of this year. And also there are some predating um, regulations also touching on human rights due diligence, including India's national guidelines on responsible business conduct from 2019, the Dutch Child Labor Due Diligence Act from the same year, Australia's Modern Slavery Act from 2018, the French Duty of Vigilance Law from 2017, and the UK Modern Slavery Act from 2015. And this doesn't just exist in a governmental or regulatory vacuum. We've also increasingly seen businesses, investors, and civil society actors calling for effective mandatory human rights due diligence legislation. So this is really a a global and group effort. Okay, good. Thank you. Uh, Kayla, you mentioned some things early on in our conversation that you wanted to return to in in greater detail. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit more how you'd like to fill out the the conversation here? Sure. Uh, So I had mentioned earlier that companies can implement human rights due diligence by following four specific steps. If it works for both of you, I can get into that now. Yeah, please do. Perfect. So the, the four steps are identifying and assessing impacts as the first meaning that companies are seeking to understand the extent of their impacts and prioritizing actions accordingly. After doing this, they move on to the second step of integrating and acting upon findings, uh, embedding actions across internal functions and processes, then tracking and verifying responses, meaning that companies track this data based on qualitative and quantitative indicators. And finally, they're communicating on impacts and how they're addressed. So this is reporting on risks and impacts in a manner that's sufficient for outsiders to evaluate the adequacy of responses, but not putting rights holders at stake. Um, And this is sort of a cyclical and ongoing process. It's not just one and done um, in terms of these steps. And I would finally note here that throughout the process of human rights due diligence, companies should always involve meaningful stakeholder engagement with both internal and external stakeholders, and that this should occur on an ongoing basis as well. Okay, well, that that sort of dialogue uh, sounds like a good way to show the proof in the pudding, as we say, 
that you, that you get this feedback uh, that, uh, that it's sufficient or not. So is that what you find in, in your work, that, uh, that this uh, last step is, uh, is very important? I think um, this sort of ongoing stakeholder engagement is absolutely essential. This occurs throughout the, the different steps of the process and throughout the process of ensuring respect for human rights. Um, you know, I don't think anything is sort of the, the secret formula um, or, you know, automatically going to result in respect for human rights, but it's absolutely essential that it occurs in order for the process to be meaningful um, and to be contextualized for a business's activities. Okay. Um, uh, let me ask you then, Osna, how do these four steps uh, jibe with what you were telling us earlier about uh, Hedro's systems for identifying risks and and tracking them down? Our main uh, process to ensure that there's really a good continuous sort of thinking around this is that we do it through our enterprise risk management. Um, and that's where we sort of, um, you know, we map um, and then and then that's where we kind of write up the actions and we track it. And that way we know that it's it's followed up through the business plans um, uh, for the, the business areas. Um, and then I would say that I think for our company, I think we very much value that stakeholder engagement um, part of human rights due diligence uh, and you know especially in in places where there is a higher risk such as in Brazil that type of engagement and dialogue is is really key because it's not you know enterprise risk management is an internal process and so we have to make sure that we have channels um, uh, so that we can you know hear from those who may be impacted by us um, especially in the local community in Brazil and so then the stakeholder dialogue is very important. And I can also add that, you know, another sort of important pillar of the UNTPs, which is not necessarily sort of uh, as part of the steps in the due diligence, is, is also having what's called a grievance mechanism um, or, or sort of a, a, a channel, a communication channel for, for, um, for people to reach us and, and to raise their concerns and, and for us to, if, if it's needed, to initiate um, remediation processes if there if there's actually been an impact. And, you know, in Hydra, we have the alert line for employees to be able to raise those concerns. Um, but then in, in certain local communities, uh, such as in, in uh, Brazil, we have sort of dedicated lines for community members. So the one in Brazil, for example, is called Canal Direto. Sorry for my Portuguese. Um, but that's, you know, that's a very important channel for us to, to understand what these, what are, what our stakeholders in the local communities, um, you know, what their concerns are. And it's, you know, it's a channel that can be then used anonymously, which is an important premise in this. You know, human rights due diligence, there's, there's no, there's no kind of like one, you know, two lines under the answer. This is exactly how you should do it. It really has to be kind of tailored to, you know, what kind of works in the different companies. And I think that, you know, I think we have to continuously learn how to, how to do good continuous due diligence in our company, but we've had some really good experience now doing it in the enterprise risk management. And, and the really, the key there is to make sure that everyone understands the risk and that they sort of, um, that as many of our colleagues sort of lift that risk into the enterprise risk management uh, and that we continuously sort of use the the insight that we get from 
um, these impact assessments that I mentioned um, and from these dialogues and, and alert lines and other mechanisms that we have to sort of um, inform that enterprise risk management. But yeah, it's a, it's a continuous process. Um, it's a continuous process in terms of continuous improvement, but also in terms of, you know, there's no sort of uh, now we've completed the due diligence, now we can go off and do something else. Another important element of our, you know, ongoing work with improving human rights due diligence is is uh, is training. Um, so really making sure that all our colleagues are sort of equipped with the right information to um, identify any risks uh, and to understand how we do due diligence. That's you know that's that's important, and and of course to do the same with our suppliers because um, we expect. Our suppliers to to uh, conduct human rights due diligences of, of their operations and their supply chains as well. But that that also means that sometimes we have to do training to make sure that um, they do the same. You know, one of the things that we often talk to our colleagues about is that being committed to human rights and conducting human rights due diligence can sometimes mean that we have to go beyond national or local laws because we're we're bound by international these international standards, which are now actually becoming law in certain parts. The, the thing there is that sometimes the national laws can conflict with our principles. And, and in those cases, we have to seek ways uh, to uphold the, the principles and standards that we as a company have committed to. And that that's, you know, very often the, the discussions kind of evolve around um, that. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, Kayla, would you like to uh, give us a little uh, summing up? So again, thank you for your time today. I realize we've had a, a pretty contextual discussion, um, very much steeped in the UNGPs, and it might leave some people wondering where to get started um, and how to begin embarking on this process of human rights due diligence. When having this type of conversation, we would advise um, an enterprise to identify where the risk of the adverse human rights impact is the most significant. And this should um, involve considerations of the operating context or specific products, operations, or services, and then getting started from there. But wherever this takes you, I just wanted to highlight that human rights due diligence is absolutely essential to showing that a business respects human rights and is truly walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And this has never been more important than right now. Um, it's certainly not going away, but rather becoming more and more compulsory throughout the world um, and absolutely essential if a company wants to show that they're respecting human rights and reducing negative human rights impacts. Okay, good. Thank you very much. That uh, that ties it all up very nicely. Olsna, would you like to do something uh, similar? This topic of human rights due diligence is, um, uh, I mentioned this, but it's something that the, the that Hydra has been committed to for many years, but it's, it, it's not um, it's not something that we can sort of rest on and say that we've been committed to this for so many years. We really have to continue improving it, um, uh, doing more training, uh, and continuously uh, look for, for, for risks and then taking uh, action on it. That's why doing it through the ERM is the way we do it in Hydra, because then we ensure that it's really integrated in the business plan. Okay, good. Well, uh, I'd like to thank both of you for joining us with Hydra Talks today. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. We have been talking with Olsner Burgess Oyehaug, CSR Manager of Hydro, and Kayla Wynarski-Green of the Danish Institute for Human Rights. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Hydro Talks. 
Thank you for listening to Hydro Talks. Make sure to subscribe. If you have any feedback or comments, get in touch at podcast at hydro.com. <laughs>